here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop chorus. Well, I'm excited. Let me say, I'm excited here to have, I'm always excited to do the coolest show with Howard people. If, if, if you want to make me excited, just bring on a Howard University people to the show. And that makes me happy. One, because I know that they've had to stand in long lines in the A building. <laughs> so we share that. We all share that. But we also now get to share that, uh, the, the victory of being a bison and saying H-U and you know. So let me actually get to these bios. So let me get right to first, Ayana Albertini Florent. Did I say that correct, Ayana? Yep, that was perfect. Oh, man. She is a Brooklyn native. Brooklyn by way of Massachusetts. She currently serves as co-executive director and director of policy and programming at Generation Green. She graduated with honors from the Howard University in 2019 and two BAs in political science and environmental studies. Wow, I gotta, that, that's amazing right there in itself. After becoming the first graduate of their environmental studies program, she returned to university to contribute uh, to local environmental justice research to the curriculum and to assist with establishing a pipeline program for high school students to the Howard Environmental Studies Program. Uh, this spring semester, she serves as course coordinator for an intro to environmental studies and justice offered by Howard and the National Education Equity Lab to Title I high school students across the country. She has worked with environmental groups such as the Sierra Club, Climate Action Campaign, Clean Water Action, and Union of Concerned Scientists in the areas of policy, public engagement, and program support. Ayana hopes to continue her career on the path of climate justice policy, movement law, and sustainable business management. In her spare time, which I don't know how she had any spare time with this, with this amazing resume, Ayana enjoys singing yoga, and incorporating sustainability into her lifestyle as a conscious fashion and beauty blogger. Ayana, how are you? I am doing amazing. I'm doing great this afternoon. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. I'm actually just actually here just looking at some amazing things from Howard. And I was actually trying to pull up something on the program that you are now a part of. There's some history there that many of us were a part of. But before we get into that history about how that program was created, let's get to Jalen. Jalen Ward is an Afro-Antillian multimedia writer and holistic living student from the Bronx, New York. Jalen is currently in their senior year at Howard University and pursuing a Bachelor of Art in Interdisciplinary Journalism. During their tenure at Howard, Jalen brought a farmer's market to campus. I love that. Introducing students to veganism and free and fresh prudos. Now, when I was at Howard, I wish we had we would have had that. That would have been amazing. Reestablished a public community garden serving Ward 1 elders and Black and Indigenous trans people. Phenomenal. And co-founded, is that the Mac Collective? Make. <laughs> The Make Collective, a media group uh, promoting Black LGBTQ plus artwork. Uh, Jalen uh, now serves as director as the diasporic engagement of Generation Green, a youth-led intergenerational nonprofit center running to liberation for Black people everywhere. That to me, and I am so honored to have both Ayana and Jalen with me today. So. First, before I get into the usual, I'm sure you've heard this before on the show. I, I want to ask, who is Jalen and who is Ayana? But first, I want to ask, why did you go to Howard University? Let's start with you, Jalen. That's a loaded question. My church home in Mount Vernon is Greater Centennial African Methodist Episcopal Church. 
Hmm. And they really promote going to HBCUs. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're trying to push this black stuff down my throat. Like what was going on? And then I was like, wait a minute, like there are some points being made here. So I applied to Howard and that was like the only HBCU I applied to. I was not receiving the gospel. And um, Howard accepted me very late, like in March. And we we're supposed to already have our decisions out like by April 1st. And it was like March 15th and I'm freaking out. And I was going to go to Goucher College in Baltimore, like a, wow. predominantly white, <laughs> a predominantly white school in the midi- in the middle of the blackest city I know. So I'm very happy. I was like, I received the gospel in time to make the best decision of my life. <laughs> and that's how I ended up at Howard. Man, I'm so glad you did too. Not not just for Howard, just for you didn't have to go to Goucher. Nothing against Goucher. Want nobody be want nobody get no no mail coming in here from Goucher. But we, you know, Howard is a is a wonderful institution. Ayana, why did you go to Howard? Well, um, so the motivation behind me going to an HBCU, I would say that was really intentional. So um Growing up in Brooklyn, I was in a mostly um, Afro-Caribbean neighborhood um, mm. and having to leave Brooklyn and go to a suburb north of Boston, predominantly white, upper middle class. It was a really stark contrast and it was hard for me the whole time I was there to really like be okay with going to school and dealing with my peers and dealing with the microaggressions and all of that. So um, I was honestly tired of it. And I did not want to be around white people anymore. Um, So I just set my sights on um, mostly HBCUs. I applied to a few all-girls schools as well. But for the most part, I applied to HBCUs. And my top choice was Spelman. But once I got into Howard with with the scholarship, I was like, okay, I'm there. So, yeah, I was the first in my high school to go to Howard and probably one of the few to ever even go to an HBCU. So, wow. yeah, I didn't benefit from any of the college counseling services because they did not have HBCUs on their list at all. So I just kind of did my own research and went my own way. Um, and I'm so grateful I did. Well, hopefully they do now. <laughs> hopefully they do now with the, uh, the, vice, the VP Oh, hopefully they may have just slotted that one in there, you know, a little bit. They, you know, we we got, or was it for the, even for the Spellman, for uh, Stacey Abrams' crew, who, or for the Morehouse, you know, the Reverend Warner. We got quite a few. Now, I mean, ho- hopefully now that they've, they've, they've added some HBCUs, or for the Michael Regan from North Carolina A&T uh, in, in the process. Hopefully they've added them. But I'm, I'm glad y'all both have uh, either attended or are going and are part of um, my alma. So thank y'all for choosing Howard University. So now we got that part of your story, and we're going to get to your environmental story. We're going to get all into why you're why you want to save the planet and why you want to get rid of fo- those fossil fuels and and why you want us folk to have good clean air and clean water. I want to know about you. Um, you know, if folk don't know you. Um, you know, who who are you? I start with Jalen again. So, you know, who is Jalen Ward? Jalen Ward. So every day I try to answer who is Jalen Ward. Um, but as far as my environmental story goes, um, I grew up in the Bronx, which for many people doesn't seem like, you know, a place where there are trees and grass and stuff like that. And for the most part, people are right. But we have to realize your environment is your immediate surroundings. And um, I grew up in a place that was like half and half. I grew up in Co-op City. So there's a lot of greenery. We're near a mm. nature reserve um, on the Hutchinson River. So I grew up seeing a lot of the environment, you know, national parks and stuff and conservation being pushed on me as a child. And, um, but then like, if you traveled a little further uptown, it was just a concrete city as New York is. So in being a Girl Scout, there was a lot of political action that we would do and community action that we would do. And then we would go camping. So it was like a mixture of both. So environmental justice was kind of always on my plate as a child, but we never spoke about it with those terms. It was more so like 
planting trees and then, you know, going to the old folks home and making sure they were fed. And that was how I internalized. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I internalized. So, uh, Jayla, I just want to say you have to be the first person who ever said they've connected environmentalism with making sure the old folk are fed. I, I, <laughs> and I still do that. I still make sure they are fed because <laughs> justice. And that, that's a part of your environment. If you don't live near um, mm. a market, then you're eating food from the bodega and that's. a ham and cheese sandwich is, is not, not going to raise your vitality. So that was obvious to me. I just didn't have the words for that. So, and I didn't have the words for that until I got to Howard when I was like, where's the supermarket? And we did the farmer's market thing. And um, that progressed into me sustaining the garden we have on campus and connecting with community partners like Sovereign Earth, which is um, a queer and trans black and indigenous group of community gardeners and um, hustlers to harvesters who are formerly incarcerated black men who, who learn mm. like master gardening and master carpentry through jail and through UDC. So um, that's how my environmental space has always been. I haven't been in this like youth climate justice, environmental justice, white space ever. I think like once um, this summer that happened, but I've always been in a black space where we're solving land justice or trying to figure out how to solve that and, you know, food justice, food insecurity and clean water. That that's has always been the space that I was in. So. No, I love that. A, a, a black, queer and trans space with returning citizens um, and that dealing with returning our our land to us and giving us good food is an amazing space. That sounds beautiful. That sounds very, very powerful and very different than the space we have in other environmental spaces. And so that, you know, it just doesn't have as much color as that I would say. <laughs> and so we'll say that. But uh, thank you for that. Uh, where's the garden? So where is the garden literally located on, on, on Howard's campus? It's near Towers. It's literally right next to West Towers. Okay. And, um, it's like on Sherman Avenue and 9th Street. I guess that's the intersection. Um, okay. Yeah. So towers, towers meaning over by McDonald's, right? That's the, that those top. That. Yeah. If you keep walking down, I guess that's called 9th Street. You. I've oh, I've seen that. Yes. So I've seen that. So that I've definitely seen that garden. That's amazing. Like I saw it because there's there, there's some new like dorms behind the towers, right? Like they're like a or apartments. Those are not dorms. We have the those are gentrified oh, okay. housing mm. and whole foods. And it's crazy in DC, the only way you can get secure and quality housing is if you're rich and there's going to be a supermarket underneath you. Like wow. the only time there is secure housing is for rich people. That's crazy. So no, that's that's real. No, gentrification is a real, is a real environmental justice issue. People don't people don't know that. No, well, thank you for that. Now I know at least I know that garden. Thank you. I'm so happy to know that garden, and that I can know it now. I'm gonna be like Jalen sent me. That's what they go feel. Why why is Raven the garden hanging out? Jalen 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 sent me. That's why. <laughs> Ayana, you you get the same question, and I want to know. Like, listen, I'm curious to also know from you know from New York to Mass. This who you are. Great question. Um, similarly to Jalen, I am still entering that. Um, but I would say, you know, um, I'm a daughter of Haitian immigrants. Mm. Um, I guess being from having that fiery Haitian blood and running through my veins, I've always been very passionate, always wanted to advocate um for what I think is right most time at home with my parents when I you know wanted to say (laughs) speak my mind um but also like just um as I started to learn more about social justice issues and even just started to later like learn about the context of um of like the things that I've been exposed to like when I was um 13 I 
was able to go to Haiti for the first time and also the DR. And I saw two things in that trip. I saw environmental justice issues in terms of like, so this was a few years after the Haitian earthquake. So mm-hmm. I was seeing like the rubble, the lack of clean water, um, like the deforestation as well in the city. Um, but then also we hopped to DR and I saw me and my family being the only dark skinned people allowed or not allowed, but present in grocery stores, present wow. in shopping centers, like present in the downtown area. And the only other person that looks like me was were the help, the nanny, the people. In Haiti? In, in Haiti or DR? Or both? This is when we went over to DR. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So okay. this, yeah, when we went over to Dominican Republic. So anyway, just in that trip, like I saw just I was just really exposed to a lot of like like um, systemic, like either social justice or environmental justice issues. Mm-hmm. And after that, I did some, when I got back to school, I did some research and I started unpacking those things in my papers and things like that. But I think, you know, just my experience as a black Haitian American woman, I've been exposed to a lot of different things. Um, and I will say, you know, despite not really liking the high school that I went to and having to deal with a lot of racism, I was able to tap into the privilege and get a really rigorous environmental uh, science education. So once I started learning more about um, environmental science and, you know, all the phenomenon going on, like in the natural world and what the human contributions to the crises of climate change and plastic pollution, all that they were experiencing, I was just like, wow, like, this is insane. Why aren't people always talking about this? Like, Mm. this ticking time bomb. Um, So I left that course um, really wanting to uh, study environmental science in college. But at the the same time, I was really passionate about law and politics um, because I did, like, a lot of social justice and race relations work in high school as well. Um, so I kind of had those two interests and I was like, okay, I guess I have to pick one, you know. Um, but once I got into Howard, uh, I started off as a political science major. I was always interested in studying the environment. So um, I, one day I just randomly walked into the office of housing, the housing office, and I was like, why is there no recycling set up? Mm. Like, why are we not, you know, incorporating more environmentally friendly, like, practices? Like, and obviously at the time, like, now I realize, okay, that's just one facet of what environmental justice or even environmental liberation is, a very small facet, that individual um, onus. But anyway, I was very, like, curious as to why at an HBC we didn't have those things set up, you know? Where my high school, I was like, in charge of the recycling crew, right? So anyway, I was just like told like, hey, you know, do you want to help with that? Like, do you want to take that on? And I was like, maybe. (laughs) So um, after that, I was, I started working with the Howard University Green Team as president and was working with the administration and the Office of Housing to try to like, solidify and set up, you know, the recycling processes and also just to spread like um, environmental awareness throughout campus through different programming and events. So that was really cool. um, My experience in the green team. Um, And then shortly after that, I think the year after the environmental studies program, I heard whispers about that program starting So once I heard about that program, I was like, oh, I absolutely like have to just add that on to my Mm. uh, work. So I was able to halfway through add on that uh, major and just like I'm so grateful for having that education at Howard because where it differed from my high school education was that it centered equity. It taught me about environmental justice. Um, and it expanded, greatly, greatly expanded what I understood to be um, environmental issues. Like social justice, social inequity is central to environmental issues. And there is the cause, 
really. Mm. So, um, yeah. So then I, you know, I started. I love the music. I just, I love that. I mean, I just, I'm glad that Howard has that program now. And I love that that is key to, I think, centering the, ex- the experience of um, people of color and black people um, from, from a lens of looking at the environment, which should be natural. I mean, this it should be this a natural is, is beautiful. Um, so I just want to say that you mentioned something about environmental liberation. Can you kind of um, talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I kind of came up with the term environmental liberation, just like with, with my work in Generation Green, like we are so intersectional, like we're so multi-issue and we, all of us understand that, you know, like kind of like what I said, there's so many different factors that come into play when we're talking about the black environmental experience, right? It's not just um, trees and animals. And it's definitely, it's not even just, you know, hazardous waste facilities and locally unwanted land use. It's, it's literally like, it stems back like from a, like a, from in history um, and starts with, well, not starts, but, you know, it definitely involves like slavery, subjugation, colonization, um, and a global exploitation along the way. Um, so basically, I just really wanted to re like I really wanted to emphasize the radical nature of what like environmental justice advocacy and frameworks like can be instead of like a reform, a mostly reform based way of um, going about attaining environmental justice um, because ultimately true environmental justice which is why i scaled it up to say liberation it just really can't be obtained through going through these oppressive systems um and continuing to um pollute anywhere and continuing to depend on um capitalism exploitation and honestly white supremacy which is the foundation of how this nation and really how this um, world operates. So environmental liberation basically um, puts the start of climate change further back. Instead of starting at the industrial revolution, all of us at Generation Green acknowledge that environmental, um, sorry, that climate change is really Um, it starts with the slave trade, it starts with colonization, it starts with the stealing of land and displacement and all of that, um, because that is what, what we have today is a direct outcome. Um, Mm. so, um, we also think that, you know, like environmental liberation adequately encompasses all the different, um, implications of black life and liberation that are very much dependent on a healthy environment. For instance, um, our spirituality and Jalen can definitely expand upon this more, but um, traditionally like African spiritual systems, like nature is an integral part of how uh, a lot of traditional African belief systems operate, right? Even in Haiti, um, like the way that you interact with spirit is through the way that you interact with natural elements Mm -hmm. that you can um, uh, revere and respect nature, right? So to have our environments degraded to the point where we can't even like, how can you, you know, pay respect to a river goddess in a polluted river, right? Like, how can you worship a spirit in a tree that has now been deforested, you know, and is an endangered species? Um, You really can't. So it inhibits us from, it inhibits black people from really 
thriving and flourishing because we're not even able to return to the ways of being that we had, like that our an- our ancestors um, our ancestors embodied. So, um, yeah, I just think environmental liberation is a little bit wider and more all encompassing to all the different um, pieces of Black life that are so dependent on the environment and were pretty much like taken away from us um, through, you know, white people being white people and (laughs) so yeah. No, you said so much there that I really, really need to unpack. I think people really need to hear. Thank you for that. I mean, uh, environmental liberation is something um, it's a term that I've just really begun to hear more. Um, and, but still not, not hearing enough. And I don't think many people in the, in the movement are, are hearing that. And the way you just broke it down is such an important facet of us as, as African, indigenous, um, black people. And you connected that, um, which is, I want Jalen to get into, obviously our, our culture, our spirituality. And then you, you then, and you didn't say this, but you obviously were connecting the dots to this, by saying that then when this extractive system, um, meaning even extractive of us from our, our land, extractive of, of the mentality of obviously fossil fuels before that, that that cuts us off from our essence. And so we're disconnected. And that means as a disconnected people, we don't even know that we're disconnected. And if so we're, 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 we're creating environment, we need environmental liberation because we've been in the midst of environmental genocide. And that's powerful, what you just said there. Um, it's scary, to tell you the truth. I mean, it's daunting because when you actually think about it, um, and the callousness of how it's been created. Um, it's something that I think that uh, we have to really look into more. Jalen, what are your thoughts on this? I know uh, Ayanna mentioned you would talk about some, I, I, I kind of hit on with that piece of the spiritual aspect, but there's so much more to this. If you maybe you want to just add in your, your say on environmental liberation. Yeah, um, on the spiritual tip, it's looking at, the use of genocide to clear land to create this idea of conservation. A lot of the removal of indigenous people throughout the Americas to create, to build up land, to create, create capital for white people, especially white men, and then to create national parks around that is a big issue that pushes out indigenous people, which include Black people mm-hmm. in the Americas and pushing out formerly enslaved people. So when you have the that that creates genocide because people are no longer connected to the land their ancestors were on. They're no longer connected to the practices that they're used to to survive. Luckily, indigenous people and black people have such great agricultural knowledge. So we've been in this business of seed preservation. We've been in this business of adaptogens. Everybody wants to eat kale now, but that is not endemic to this land that we're on. So I think the spiritual aspect is recognizing that there was blood shed at the hands of white people, which is in a lot of spiritual systems, a sacrifice. And that sacrifice has made this crisis we have exacerbated because blood magic intensifies whatever, whatever, I I don't want to say spell because I don't necessarily use that language, but for people who know what I'm talking about, that intensifies the power of your message. So the blood shed from pushing out indigenous people, the blood shed from enslavement, the blood shed in the transatlantic slave trade through that middle passage is all a part of a reckoning that we have to deal with. 
and a disconnect from our ancestral lands. So we're missing this spiritual connection to people who, whose blood we share and people who we've lost and we've never gotten a chance to mourn. So we're kind of living on a graveyard, mm. <laughs> graveyard. And we wonder why, you know, natural catastrophe is so fierce. And um, it's because we never really got to grieve and we don't have the knowledge that we once had to protect the land. And I think Black and Indigenous people are doing a great job at protecting the land. Um, Black and Indigenous people are on the front lines of um, land preservation and, and actual conservation of mm. lands from Canada to the tip of South America. So, and throughout the continent as well, we cannot forget. So um, we're really on the front lines of this and um, we've never gotten to grieve and climate catastrophe is only getting worse. So there is a spiritual reckoning here that we need to address when we talk about environmental liberation as well. Wow. Well, I just want to say that. So y'all are saying so much and I am, I am so in sync with, but let me just say this, this, let's even go a little further so that I know from my tradition and my background, I'm also from my parents are from the Caribbean. So I have a, there's a, there's a, you understand um, there's a uniqueness, particularly and what the culture in that aspect is. Um, there are a lot of people who will hear what you're saying, both of you, Phelan and Ayana, in this aspect that um, they won't understand the connection you're making from the spiritual sense with the scientific aspects of this, because there's a connection there. I, and that many people who I know, pretty, and I was, I'm really, was born, my parents came to this country, I was born in Louisiana, so down south, they will say to this day, they will say that almost like the sins of the fathers and mothers are causing your weather and causing things to be awry. Um, and so, and they would then have the, the and even the Black, the Black Panther movement would say, heal the land, heal the land um, in that aspect. So, but explain, I guess for me, what would you say to those who are in the mainstream environmental movement who are now listening to this podcast and with their mouth wide open and saying, my goodness, you know, they're, they're literally telling us that, um, that literally, which is some part of that, our behavior, you know, um, connects to, you know, the destruction of our planet, but it even goes into deeper than that. It's not only just your behavior, but, you know, what you've done to the people on the planet is also creating that destruction as well. And setting, so y'all got to explain that to them. Or if, if you want to, you don't really have to. But you kind of have to now because you're on the podcast. So you got to, you got to, kind of, you got to, you're here. You got to, you know, you know, open up the can up here. So I don't know who wants to go first. I said, well, Jalen, you want, you want to go first. You can go ahead, go, go ahead and have it. Explain to our, our, our brothers and sisters, maybe of a, of a lighter hue who may be tripping right now off of what it is heard. So, Let's let's just create one example through agriculture and specifically monocropping mm -hmm. and continuously turning over the topsoil. When you only plant one crop, you create a means for disease because there is no biodiversity. Right. And it, but monocropping is so important to industrial agriculture because it allows you to then make this an export. Right. Mm -hmm labor to export that and you need cheap labor and free labor even so that you can get the most bang for your buck right so that's what america has done with corn that's what america has forced central america to do with bananas and that's what america has forced south america do to do with coconuts and palo santo and quinoa even so when we look at how we monocrop and then continuously turn over the topsoil we're not, we're, first of all, we're exploiting people to benefit your capitalistic economy. People die as a effect of overworking, essentially. So now you have blood on your hands, right? That's that component. 
then you're mistreating the earth because you are essentially creating a means for disease and you're not allowing the necessary um, microbiome in the soil to thrive. So you are creating a reckoning for droughts, right? And disease. So that will lead to famine. And we've experienced famine. Um, we've had the great dust storm. People, Black people mm-hmm. in the South have experienced that. So then on top of that, you have even more blood on your hands because now people are famished. So this is the way we treat the earth is very directly connected to the lives lost because we are essentially using people as capital. It's called human capital. And this is just regularly discussed in economics at using human lives as capital. So when you do that, you are removing people from their environment. You are disconnecting humans from plants and animals, like as mm. if not made up of the same, we don't share some of the same DNA. Like we're not just the walking embodiment of the universe's consciousness. So when you separate yourself from that, when you put yourself in this superordinate position, you're putting yourself in a position to reap and not give back. So a lot of the practices that we have in agriculture are extractive. And this is where we get this extractivism, right? And you see this in oil, just all the fracking causing or exacerbating earthquakes. So there's several examples of this, but I really focus on how agriculture has done that because that is directly connected to the legacy of my ancestors. So Mm. that's one way to look at it. If the simplest way to see it immediately. No, professor, I see you. I see you there nodding your head. Yeah, no, I definitely resonated with everything Jalen said. And to those lighter hue um, scientists or environmentalists, I would just say like, if you know anything about environmental science or even biology, you know that everything's connected. Anything that um, happens in one part of the ecosystem directly impacts another, right? Mm. Um, So just as humans, like we're spiritual beings, we're biological beings coming from this earth, you can't neglect to see the effect or the outcome, um, the spiritual outcome that changing the environment has to us and just has like on the energy that's present on this planet. Um, You should like the interconnectedness of everything is the basis of environmental science. And I Mm. think that that stems out to spirituality and energy and all of that as well. And um, I actually also want to provide another example about the connection between environment and spirit. Um, Once again, in Haiti, um, just learning some family history, I found out about this tree in Haiti and it's called the Mabu tree. And in Haitian voodoo, um, the Mabu tree in it lives um, one of the most important spirits, the spirit that is pretty much the head of the voodoo pantheon. Mm-hmm. Um, so this tree is revered um, by voodoo practitioners for that reason, right? Um, but also at the same time, when I learned about its environmental um, uh importance i learned that that tree it's really big and it has deep roots and it's really crucial to protecting the island from soil erosion and holding like the land down and protecting against um sea level rise right so scientists environmentalists describe this tree as you know really like a cornerstone of the ecosystem in haiti and helping it to protect haiti from climate change um so just learning about the overlap between the importance of it in terms of spirituality and the importance of it through the environment. Um, I just realized, wow, like I really feel like a lot of these things mirror each other, honestly. Um, and literally any effort to conserve that tree would be improving not only the environment, but be allowing um, Haitians to practice you know, their spirituality um, without, you know, having to worry about that tree being deforested. 
Um, so ever since that tree has declined in number because of deforestation, um, there's been a noticeable effect in, you know, like um, extreme weather events and recently mm. from those things. Um, so, yeah, I just found that as an interesting example of an overlap. And um, I do think spiritually, you know, because that tree or other parts of the environment that are very sacred um, are being decimated due to the legacy of slavery and the fact that Haiti had to play uh, France reparations and, you know, just the poverty that has resulted. Um, is directly affecting weather patterns. Like, I really believe that, you know, like that is a direct result, both on the spiritual end and the environmental end. So um, that's just one example that I wanted to provide. No, well, I can't wait to read the article because there's an article there I can see because there's that's a, a conversation for me. Because we all see that you, you kind of mentioned, you mentioned it about the importance of hating for the liberation of black people, particularly on this continent, the the use of, um, in, in that revolution, uh, using voodoo and using natural mechanisms to overcome the, those armies and, and that spirituality um, could not have happened. I mean, up to this day, people, you know, physically don't understand how that ragtag bunch of 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 so-called former slaves would overcome a world power. But then, you know, obviously then they would look at what they were using and how they were using there's so many different things around them from the natural and the spiritual. Um so no, I'm, I guess I'm looking forward to you connecting that dots to uh to modern day. Um speaking of modern day, uh y'all y'all not waiting uh to just talk about this from the uh Ivory Tower from the academy, y'all are going from the suites to the streets as well. Y'all out there trying to make make it happen. And so y'all have uh, created Generation Green. So uh, you're the co-ED for that. What is Generation Green and, and, and how did I get started? Yeah, so Generation Green is an organization that is Black youth-led and also intergenerational that weaves together Black life and Black liberation through an environmental justice lens. So like I said before, we are extremely intersectional um, and multi-issue and we, you know, believe in connecting all the different um, parts of the Black environmental experience. Um, And we also believe in connecting to each other. Um, Generation Green started, um, well, our founder, Destiny Hodges, um, she, um, she was just kind of tired of not being connected to other black young environmentalists and to be working in the mainstream environmental world in a very siloed capacity. Um, and I also resonate with that, you know, mainstream environmental movement, it doesn't center black people. It doesn't center black life. It doesn't even frame, um, climate change as a black issue, like a Mm. issue for black liberation or just black survival, honestly, it's genocide, like you said earlier, Rev. Um, So we just really wanted to be connected to each other in the work that we do. um, And we wanted to amplify what's going on, you know, here in the States, throughout the Caribbean and the continent, um, exposing, you know, that environmental justice work, environmental liberation work through media. So um, network and media are really, really core components of Generation Green. Um, yeah, and Jalen can can chime in if she, she would like to add to that. Well, Jalen, I, w- I want you to chime in here, but let me say a couple of things. First, uh, I love Destiny. Destiny is phenomenal. Destiny Hodges is... Uh, founder and co-ED of uh, uh, Generation Green. She's also the uh, uh, assistant producer of this here uh, podcast, The Coolest Show. Uh, and so she is phenomenal. Um, and we definitely appreciate uh, what she brings um, to this movement. 
Um, I guess the one thing you mentioned there, um, Ayana, that I want to get to, because I've heard Destiny tell the story about Generation Green, and you kind of hit on it. And it's the one thing that always, I think, needs to be reintroduced into the into the space. And that simply is that um, large environmental organizations do not center their work around either people of color, particularly black, brown, and red people of color, and they are not anti-racist organizations. And that means they then have um, nullified their position to do that work. Um, as a matter of fact, they can hinder the work because if you don't come from a position of understanding um, the importance of Black lives in the story of our environment, then you are not in that position to do that work. Um, and so that means that in some cases even, you're not only at odds with um, the, 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 the problem, you're, you're at odds with us too as well because you are then in a position possibly taking resources and infrastructure that should go to those who understand what that means. So this we're gonna keep it, we keep it 100 here. That's why we we have this, why we have this platform. We keep it 100, 100. So I guess I just I want, I guess Jalen, I mean, I, I see you over there nodding your head. And please, you know, Ayana, get into this. I mean, you know, that's a very, very, very serious indictment of what what you're saying, why Generation Green was. It, it wasn't just all warm and fuzzy. This is great something because, you know, you know, why not? It's nice and we want to be here. Yeah, you know, let's just be here. No, we literally found what you're doing to be harmful and harmful to Black people, which means that Black people will die because of what you're doing. And we need to then create other resources and mechanisms. Hence, we are going to create Generation Green. Is that about right, Jalen? Did, 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 did I encapsulate that correctly? <laughs> right on the head. And I would go even further to say that they're a part of the problem. Like they are the problem. Because mm. if you, there's no way to ignore these things. You, I don't believe that. I'm not falling for that. There's no way to ignore the harm that this has on Black life and that this even stems from believing that you can harvest people. So if you mm. ignore that and go, well, the earth is everybody's problem, you know, I don't see color in this. Like it, it's impossible to do that. You have to be cognizant of these things. It's impossible to do this work and ignore that. That means you aren't doing the work. That means you are an advocate for the state, it sounds like to me. Mm. So I think um, that's why Generation Green is um, here. That's why we showed up, because as, apart from politics, apart from governance, we are focused on community, what we need first and foremost, and recognizing that that looks different intergenerationally and based on temporal dimensions and based on location. So we definitely are intentional about the departments that we have and um, the education that we receive to run them responsibly and being very conscious of how we come from a nonprofit startup who is meddling <laughs> in diasporic communities and asking, what do you need? Making sure that we're not absorbing our colonized environment and just being very intentional about how we uplift and fortify communities all over the world. So if you're not doing that work, you're you're a part of the problem and you are the problem. Come on now. Preach. Come on, preach Jim. I like <laughs> bring that, bring that, bring that. Oh man, I love it. Um we went, I mean, this town goes so by so fast. I, I had I had to ask a couple more questions. Yeah, y'all just there's something because y'all brought up some amazing pieces in here that I think are very important. The one thing I just want to really get to is this. With what 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 would you see as Generation Green being successful? In other words, 
if you now can kind of wave your 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 magic wand, so to speak, and you can just say that this is what we need to be successful, um, what would that be? And before you enter that, Ayana, just I want I want to throw a little caveat, just a little caveat in there. This is very important. There are a lot of us who have become reliant on the system. And they may also be threatened by this kind of how, what we're saying right now, because that has become kind of their own pipeline. They, they, they may not understand what it means. They may tell us, oh, y'all foolish children, just come on, this is, just get, get in line. You know, you'll be back when you get older, you'll, you'll come back, you'll be at one of these nice big greens working. <laughs> And you'll, you'll, you're not saying that. So what does the vision for Generation Green look, if you can, your wildest, what does success look like? What, what does it mean for Generation Green to be successful at what you're doing? Yeah, that's a heavy question. Um, definitely. There's a lot of people who actually think they're part of the solution in this movement who actually wouldn't like to see uh, what we think of as success um, for this movement, for Generation Green, right? So I think success specifically for Generation Green looks like contributing our holistic frameworks to the movements that we intersect with. Um, we're sort of like a weaver of different movements. So whether that be environmental justice, black liberation, youth climate movement, we're a weaver of movements. Um, and we unify um, black people throughout them to build collective power in order to establish restorative systems and resilient communities. Mm. So we really hope to democratize and distribute the knowledge and tools that are needed to support liberation and restoration for um, Black people doing this work throughout the diaspora. Um, and I will say, you know, we intend to address the root causes of environmental issues, environmental justice issues, as we do this work. And the big greens, you know, they play a very dangerous game of siloing and whitewashing that um, to the point where Honestly, like many black youth, black folks, like when you really, if you would to ask them, you know, do they see their values reflected in the mainstream environmental movement? Many wouldn't, wouldn't resonate with it, right? Just based on the type of um, the portrayal of environmentalism that happened. Mm through mainstream media and through the work that these nonprofits do, right? And the type of people they um, allow to be in the space and allowed to speak um, as the face of these movements. So we're talking about youth environment, um, youth climate, and like the national environmental groups. So that disconnect, I think, honestly, I think that's intentional. Like that disconnect mm -hmm. is um, what can make a lot of black people, you know, like not see their, their experience really reflected in the environmental movement and really, um, really captured by it. And like, as we've been uh, stating in this, in this uh, interview, um, in climate change and environmental de de degradation is mainly affecting the continent. It's mainly affecting black communities in the US and the Caribbean and South America mainly um, because just being in a black body, you're, that comes with so many inequities and historical accumulated disadvantages that place you in toxic environments that you know limit your access to fresh, healthy foods. And this is consistent like really throughout the world. Mm. Um, so for us, we really just wanna reframe um, what's going on and put it in a black liberation lens um, and, and take action that's abolitionist to, um, to the point where we hopefully won't need Generation Green, right, anymore. Um, that's really our ultimate goal. Um, and also, I just wanna say lastly, 
you know, having the youth, black youth lead this movement is also crucial because um, we're inheriting the most time spent on this earth in its current state. Um, so all the decisions being made, political, environmental decisions, um, all of those consequences are reflected in the earth that we're inheriting. And um, yeah, we have to grapple with, is it even, you know, safe for us to have kids? Like, is it even like, can we buy a house in this city or is it going to get flooded because the sea level rise? Like, there's so many things we have to contend with in our lifetime. And I think we're a really unique generation. Uh, we're one of the first to really live probably most of our lives in a world marked by climate change. Um, so it's really important to have the youth lead those decision-making processes um, because it, it just affects us like inherently. Um, so I kind of went around all over the place. No, no, no. You, you went right where you went, need to go to. That was, that was all right. No, that was, that was, that was powerful. And thank you for that. I actually, man, I, I really hope we have some time in the future because y'all opened up a whole lot of cans of worms that I think, and hopefully people will get into this because I think we need that. We need to further these conversations um, because I think it's just a, it's just a new way of looking at it. It's one, I'll tell you personally, I'm willing to die for my people, 100%. I'm willing to die for my people. And so um, I'm willing to give it all for them to be free. And what you're basically what you're saying is that ain't nobody free to everybody free. And so if if they if they got bad air, bad water, then I got it too. If they don't got no grocery store and living in in food deserts or or in places in that nature, then we got it too. It's just that whole mentality. And so um I'm with you hundred percent on that. Uh Jalen, how how can we find Generation Green. And, and if you want to add anything on to what the professor said, right, please, please add that into the conversation. Yeah, I'd like to add that we also can't do this work without including people who are already experiencing climate change outside of America. We cannot make this an American message that including the diaspora, seeing this as like a community of people worldwide is very important to this movement because people are already experiencing climate change. It is not coming in 2030. It is happening right now. So you can find Generation Green to hold us accountable to that message um, on Instagram, generation underscore underscore green, and on Twitter, generation underscore G. And um, you can hit my email jalen.ward at jen-green.org and hit me up. Be like, Jalen, you was talking real big about involving the diaspora. Here's my organization. And if you don't want to send it directly to me, you can hit our website, jen-green.org and send us all a message. I love that. And if I want to give y'all a little bit of some ducats and some money to support this good work, would I go to sending a few few dollars your way? Got a few options. You could use our <laughs> website, you could hit our cash app, you could hit our PayPal, but you should really hit our website. It's a streamlined experience. We even have a GoFundMe, but use the streamlined experience of our website. Um, there's a donate button. It's very easy. I just wanted to say for any funders out there, you know, philanthropy is a maze for an organization like us, like black led youth led. Um, and you know, if you're looking to talk more to us and have some conversations about our funding needs, like feel free to, um, email info at Jen dash green.org and um, we would welcome your support. I want to add to that. I know that um, a lot of foundations have been sharing the coolest show. Thank you for that, for, for doing that. And we appreciate you. But um, the reason why we have the coolest show, so you can hear from those on the cutting edge. And I just want to just kind of reinforce from me to you, if you're listening, if you're in one of these big foundations, um, please support Generation Green and their work. 
um, this is important. And I say that because a lot of folks are going to be intimidated or afraid of the conversation. This is what we need to succeed. If we're going to win all climate, it's going to have to come through this lens. So I hope that is a good uh, uh, a resounding endorsement from Rev here. But I hope that you have you have that folks who are listening right now, you will support this amazing um, organization um, that hopefully you and I'm, I'm an old geezer. They'll let me come around every once in a while and hang out with them. <laughs> and, 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 and we could we could talk climate stuff and liberation and, and abolition and everything else. Before y'all go, you can't you can't go. Uh, before you had this last question, though, I got because you know I had you know as you know Destiny, who who was a part of Generation Green, as I mentioned before, the producer here. We asked her this question. I asked her 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 top songs. Uh, if she had two artists, who if all you can take with you in your in, in your bag, Ayana, back to Haiti. All you can take is two. You can't take nobody else with you. This is this is it. Then who are the two artists you're going to carry with you? Uh, in the, in you know, as far as their catalog, whatever. You only get two though. You only get two. Um, the two that Destiny picked was she picked Tupac was one. You know, it's a good one. And uh, Frank Ocean. Uh, so those were the two. Uh, Jalen, I see you squinting your eyes when I said Frank Ocean. <laughs> I see. I, I, I see you look. There's maybe some other ones you might have put in your catalog, so you can go first. Then who who would you put into who those two artists you would take uh, with you? Yeah, whatever. Orisha plays the drums, <laughs> and mm. yeah, I think yeah, that's really hard. And I thought about this, and I was warned about this, but nah, I can't do it. <laughs> You're taking no. So you say, so are you taking this to drums? Yes. Whatever Orisha plays the drums and yeah, my yeah. So she can give me the nice sound of the sweet water and ocean. Okay. Okay. And, you know, Shango throws some lightning for me and we got the music going on. Right. Um, that's how I'm going to answer that question. I like the natural sounds. Um, Ayana, I know, so are you going with that or do you have some artists you're going to bring with you for your phone? Oh, God. Yeah, this is really a hard question. Um, I, I really dislike uh, favorite artists, favorite song questions, but um, I will say, I will go a little cliche and say Beyonce because okay. one of, as for one of them, just because I think, you know, me and her have some karmic uh, past life connections. We really, um, <laughs> we have a lot of the same astrology placements and I really resonate with her. So I'm going to say Beyonce for those reasons. Um, and then I would say Kate Trinata. Um, he's mm. actually a Canadian DJ. Um, and he doesn't actually, um, it's kind of the back door cause he doesn't actually sing or rap or anything. He just makes the beats. And <laughs> I like the beats and sometimes it's all you need, you know, vibe out to that. Um, and he has a lot of different artists that actually sing on his song. So I'll say him. No, I like, I like both the answers. I'll, I'll give you a little fun fact here. Our producer of the coolest show, uh, Cross, actually helped create uh, our climate album, um, which, is, which was called Home. Heal Our Mother Earth, in which we have on the artists, um, Common, Neo, um, Crystal Waters, Anthony Smith. I bring this up because one of the artists who was going to be on the album was Beyonce. And on Beyonce's album, yes, Beyonce's album, her song Sandcastle is actually an environmental song. It's a song that she was writing for and then it was just, it got all caught up in all the uh, and all the stuff that music stuff gets caught up in to get cleared, and so it didn't get cleared in time. And then she put it on her album, Lemonade, actually. So uh, yeah, so there's a fun fact for you that that actually Sandcastle is an environmental song that Hip Hop Caucus was gonna was working with, and Malik Youssef actually wrote the uh, the hook for that. So there you go. There's your Beyonce climate music. Fun fact song. And no, Jalen, you can't you can't add Beyonce to your to your list. You can't you got I listen, Beyonce 
is an environmentalist, I'm just I'm just shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Never told me that because now I feel even more connected to her. And Most definitely, yes, indeed. Yeah, I also want to say her song. Um, <laughs> I don't her song, Other Side, from the Blackest King album. Mm. Not Blackest King, the um, Lion King album. Other Side, that, like, I when I listen to that, I think of, like, in terms of climate anxiety or just, like, pessimism. Like, when I listen to that, it's like, you know, like, we'll make it on the other side of these disasters, these crises, and, like, we got to continue fighting for, like, you know, the generations coming after us. So that song, actually, I, when I'm, like, burnt out from my work, I listen to that song. And it's sad, but it gives me some motivation. So I just want to plug that into. I think she was thinking of climate change in that one. No, I love it. No, y'all are phenomenal, man. We got to, there's so much more to talk about. And y'all just keep on doing what you do. Definitely appreciate y'all. Um, and those are my guests today. Ayana Abertini Florent and Jalen Ward, both from the awesome group, Generation Green. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.